Hello there. Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, X at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Thursday, December the 21st. We are right up on Christmas time. Uh, I don't know what episode of the pod this is at this point, and this is a unique instance. You're going to hear the car uh, telling me where to go because I'm going to work as it is the first day of the racing week at Gulfstream Park, and I'm exiting the new apartment, so you're going to hear them talking to me for directions. Um, But the bigger thing here is with this week's show, there's going to be two pods, but think of it as more part one and part two as opposed to two individual episodes because I know it's been a while. I was supposed to be back last week. Um, This is going to be a little bit of story time. Story time. Ready? I am just getting situated into my new uh, building. Okay? My wife and my daughter are here with me. We're in South Florida for the remainder of the Gulfstream Championship meet. The first house first Airbnb that we were in, unfortunately, uh, really nice house. Uh, Some of the guests in the house that were unwelcomed, not so nice. Um, Rats, those of you that live in the uh, Florida area, say Florida area, the state of Florida, you're probably more familiar with this than I am. My only exposure to rats was when I lived in New York City for four plus years where we had proper sewer rats uh here in florida apparently you all have roof rats tree rats you know i guess they have many different names Uh, but but it's not like a house mouse or a field mouse if you're from new england or the midwest or anything like that we're not talking about like a little a little mouse little pipsqueak uh we're talking about like a nine inch long rat which i just automatically associate with new york Well, they're running around in the walls, in the ceiling of this place that we were staying in, and combine that with some other issues there, it just became a bit of a shit show where my wife and I were like, this ain't going to fly. We got to get out of here because we still have three and a half months ahead of us. So last week, while I was going to do a pod... Um, I, there was just so much going on. We ended up bailing out there and moving into a new building, which is not too far away from actually where we were, but it's about, call it 15, 20 minutes from Gulfstream. So that's why I'm recording this now, because last week was a mess. There was no way I was going to be able to actually record anything of substance. And now, this is all well and good that we're in a better spot, but trying to record with my daughter sleeping in the other room, or trying to, but then when she hears you talking, she has FOMO, and she starts not crying, but she doesn't want to miss out, so she's chirping. Mama and Dada wants to come and hang out. I go, babe, it's time time to go to bed. So this is the best time for me to do it while I'm in the car driving to the racetrack, getting ready for the beginning of my work week. Uh, FanDuel TV, if you haven't checked out the action so far, Full crew here this week, myself, Caton, Andy, Kyle Levy, and then day after Christmas, Larry is back. Larry Coleman's back from a bit of a vacation 
and uh, a little bit of time off following the Delmar meet. So the first part of this pod, let's say, let's, let's call it part one, but it's a pod in and of itself, is just sort of catching up on where this year went in terms of the gambling. Now, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that I was going to go through and give you sort of the, the final updated tallies in terms of the return on investment and certain bets and things of that nature. I, I'm going to do that here, but it's not going to be nearly as dense as some of the other ones. I think I did this two other times so far this year. Um, this will be more broad generalizations. And truth be told, there's really not a lot that has changed in terms of recognizing strengths and weaknesses. Some of the numbers came down, but that was just purely a product of volume going up in terms of what wagers were placed at what configurations and what racetracks. So for the year, uh, the final total of races up until today that I made picks for, whether it be on FanDuel TV over at the TVG app, which, as you can see, we are kind of transitioning out of into the FanDuel Sportsbook or the FanDuel Racing app, um, or on NBC or in pod form. I believe the final total was just under 1,500 races, 1,500. The win ROI ended up at $1.58. So that is roughly down 20.5%, somewhere thereabouts, 21%. Um, and, you know, you can look at it a few different ways and say, you know, you're, you're more or less down takeout plus a couple points. Is it great? No. But I also think there has to be... A, a realization that not all of those are horses that you would be betting. There's a lot of one to five shots in there that I have no interest in betting. There are some 30 to one shots that I'd, I'd take a stab with, but it's not like I'm staking a giant portion of bankroll into those. So, and it's part of the reason I, I discuss both on air and here, you know, in, in pod form, the idea that picks are so outdated. The, the notion of a pick it comes down to what what is the dollar what is the return we, we can all pick winners and you know sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you're un unlucky and i won't name names but someone the other day was like no oh, you know it's just all about picking the winners i go well, I, I i guess i i suppose i i think it's more nuanced than that but maybe you disagree and if so that's totally fair uh, leave your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I'd love to hear more about that. And this is something that's not new. I've, I've spoken about this in the past. But for me, it is much more about getting involved in pools that I think are advantageous wagering opportunities where there are either A, overlaid odds, or B, there are going to be overlaid payouts. So I guess one in the same. I'm, I'm you know six of one, half dozen of the other. But the idea is I want to get my money in right. I don't want to have my money in just to have my money in. And the the difficulty with a pick, an air quote pick, is that you, you're not factoring in the price. You try to ahead of time. You know, I try to pick some creative horses ahead of time that I think are going to be decent numbers. By the way, the average off odds, the average off price of all the picks, 1,500, just under 1,500, was 6 to 1. 6.01 to 1, which translates roughly to about a... a 14-ish, 14.5% um, projected win rate. My win rate was just over 19%. Now, again, that, those are numbers that can be sort of interpreted a few different ways, depending on how you look at it, because 
how much of, let's say, the 19.2% or whatever it ended up being, uh, winning selections were north of that 6 to 1, how many of them were sub 6 to 1. So again, there are many ways to parse through the data. I'm not going to bore you with all those details. The, the big takeaway, though, oh, and by the way, the win play show return on investment was actually $1.63. So in a funny way, for me, this is almost never the case. Um, and for most people, this is never the case, that the WHIP's return on investment is actually better than the win return on investment, which indicates that you had some big numbers run well, but not quite get there. I think right off the top of my head, there was a horse at the beginning of the Gulfstream meet called Reminder, who finishes second at nearly 30 to 1 by a half length behind Noted. Uh, the ride, a little bit subpar, but that's going to happen from time to time. If the ride is a bit cleaner and the horse gets up, all of a sudden that win ROI is certainly over $1.60, probably into that $1.62 range because you get $62 back coming your way. So it is what it is. But the the reasoning for doing this sort of thing is to try to not enforce on you. You're open to do whatever you want in your life. But the idea is to try to get more in tune with your strengths and weaknesses. Okay? Lean into... I wish this car in front of me would pull up. They're not moving. Sorry. As I'm talking to all of you, there's a guy trying to turn into my lane. The car in front of me will not move um, to allow this fella to turn. All right, regardless, neither here nor there. The, the idea is to figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie. And I know that sounds obvious, but the, the idea is you need to be getting yourself into positions that you think you're going to have success or give you the best opportunity to have success, okay? If you're consistently betting into pools or betting on certain kinds of races that you don't have success with, but you don't know it because you're not keeping records, you're never going to win, period, end of story. You need to be putting yourself in positions to have the most amount of potential success. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee or a lock that you're gonna all of a sudden you know, hit a home run every time, but you at least need to give yourself the best chance to hit a home run. And that's where I've gotten to lately. I, I'm, I'm past the point of betting to win. I will very rarely do it unless it is a giant price. But the idea for me from a gambling standpoint is to get alive to a horse that I like at a price. And is it the likeliest scenario? No. But if I can take a 10 to 1 shot, and let's say it's in a pick 3 and I press it up, and I can turn that 10 to 1 shot into a 50 or 60 to 1 shot, I feel good about that. And I'm playing it for 10 20 $30. If I can do better than that in a pick five, if I can turn that 10 to one shot in the payoff leg into a 200 to one shot and I've got it for $10 or $20, I'm in good shape. I feel good about that. You can even return it into a larger return, into the hundreds to one, depending on what the rest of the sequence looks like. But I'm hopeful that my going through and keeping records for this year for the pod has at least maybe encourage those of you that don't typically do that sort of thing to give it a try. And it doesn't need to be some, you know, crazy Excel spreadsheet or you don't need to put together, you don't need to be a programmer to put together some decent records. You can do it by hand and paper if you want. It'll make your life a lot harder. But if you just go through, and I would encourage you to go break it down by distance and by surface. So dirt sprint, dirt route. Turf sprint, turf route. Synthetic sprint, synthetic route. 
I would encourage you to break it down by condition. Claiming, maiden, stake, you name it. Go on that route. The one thing that I will do differently next year for myself is I got too into the weeds of the conditions. Now, in a perfect world, you do kind of what I was doing, where you're going non-winners of two lifetime, 50 claimer. Non-winners of two lifetime, 40 claimer. Uh, You know, starter allowance. Uh, You know, go down the list. The problem is you quickly find that not every track runs the same kind of races, and you can all of the sudden take, let's just use claiming, which is a very broad group, you can suddenly take what should have been a sample of a making it up 400 and with all the different conditions you get it so finely tuned that you don't necessarily have representative data, representative sample sizes. If I don't have enough claiming non-twos to really truly sink my teeth into it, if I've got a sample of seven and I'm, and I'm two for seven. Well, that, that doesn't really tell me anything. Take the fifth exit and stay on US one south. As opposed to the broader claiming rank of 300, whatever you'd like to call it. Take the fifth exit and stay on US one south. So that would be my recommendation. If you are someone that is interested in trying to do this sort of thing going forward, don't get too, you know, finely pointed with whatever kind of record keeping you want to do because you can find yourself getting a little bit too finely tuned unless you do this over the course of years and years and years so maybe that's what I will do I'll just end up putting them together this year along with next year I'll also have them separately but I've got a little bit of time to think about that as we get closer to the holidays and we turn the calendar over to the beginning of 24 so again that's the big takeaway that I wanted to kind of get through here with going through and looking at the data again and seeing how this year went. Turf routes are still my bread and butter. I still think that is the best opportunity to find prices. Uh, The win percentage in terms of just straight up picking winners, um, actually the best number for me was, why are we not going? Why are we not going? That was me beeping. Um, As we sit at a green light. The best uh, strike rate was actually dirt sprints which is about 24%, 23.5%, which I don't want to say is, is crazy, just simply because that's we run the most of those, and I think they are arguably the most predictable races that there are. Um, I'm not trying to give myself any extra credit for that because I just look for more or less who are the fastest horses and who has speed. If you get both of those things, you've got a very likely winner in a dirt sprint. You also can... I think those configurations typically play very, very similarly throughout the course of a meeting. Tracks don't change that much at six furlongs on dirt, most of them, in my opinion. Kind of what they are is what they are. Occasionally, you can find some more biases inside, outside, but, you know, for the most part, I feel like a, a six furlong dirt sprint at Gulfstream, I have a fairly good idea where you need to be to have a true chance of winning the race. So that's going to wrap this piece up. Again, let me know if you found any of this of, of value. Um, 
forget about from a transparency standpoint on my end, because as, as I've said, I not, you know, we all like to pick winners, but I, but picking a winner doesn't really mean that much in the grand scheme of things. My win ROI is $1.58 this year. And guess what? My dollars and cents in my pocket, this is without question the best gambling year of my life. I won't give you the final tally, but it's pushing 100000 in terms of in pocket, on top of. So th- this has very clearly been the best gambling year of my life. And I don't anticipate this to be the same year over year. You're going to have good years. You're going to have bad years. This year has been exceptional for me, especially when none of that is contest-related. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I know some people can get very down on themselves as they're not picking winners. I've been in that boat, and I still occasionally, it's hard to completely detach yourself from that thinking. But just because you are not necessarily picking the most, air quotes, winners, that doesn't mean you're not putting yourself in a great position to have success. Remember that the next time you're putting together wagers or you're in a bit of a rut. Don't worry about necessarily picking the winners. Are you putting yourself in the best position to make a score? Because it is my belief wholeheartedly that that's the name of the game these days. You got to be looking to make scores, not grind. Because if you're trying to grind, unless you're getting some giant kickback, it's, it's just going to be a long grind to nothing. I think you need to put yourself in positions to make something that at the very least you can churn for a little bit and hopefully set you up for your next success. That's going to wrap up the first part, let's call it, part one of this two-part pod to wrap up 2023 here on the Matt Burney, your show. I'm not even going to give you the sign-off. I'll give you the sign-off in part two. Come back. Enjoy the next one.